podcast all about the tech industry, software development, and being a woman in tech. I am your host, Orti. And I'm your host, Lola. Following on from last week's episode, where we spoke all about what AI is, kind of how it works, and its past and its future, today we wanted to chat through some AI applications in a bit more depth and talk about some of the ethics surrounding them. So if you haven't listened to our other episode yet and you're keen to understand how AI works, give that a listen and then come back to this one. But before we get started, we of course need to express some gratitude. I thought today it would be fun to theme our gratitude with a technology theme. So Lola, what is something in technology that you feel grateful for? I feel like I always think about this, about how we just have access to so much knowledge nowadays that no one, no other humans in history have ever been able to attain. Like we just have this little rectangle in our pocket that we can just like ask anything and it'll just tell us an answer. So I feel like this like pervasiveness of knowledge that we can now access in the world that is something that I'm really grateful for for technology even though it's also kind of scary with like misinformation but yeah that is one thing I'm grateful for I was gonna say it's really interesting because you know like back in our back in the day you'd have to like go look things up at the library and stuff and now you're just like oh I'll just google it for me I think something I'm really grateful for is the connection that technology offers us, especially with like people that move away. So I have quite a few friends that live overseas and I don't get to see them that often. And video calling and all of that is really nice. But something I've really liked is, you know, the app Be Real. I just love it because I get to see just like the little details of my friends' lives that are overseas. And I remember one of my friends, I like had posted a Be Real and she was like, do you realize that because I moved overseas and you moved into a flat, I haven't seen your bedroom. And it was just nice to see what your bedroom's like. I just think it's really cool that you, we have like apps like that that offer you so much points of connection with other people. Mm, it is so sweet. I'm so bad with Be Real though. Like I always miss the notification and then I'm like, well, I'm not gonna post now. It's been like an hour. I still do it. I'm like, oh, I'm still being real. Cause I got it. And I looked at it and that's when I posted it. When I went to Harry Styles last week, I was very tempted to wait because Be Real went off right like about 20 minutes before he came on. And I was like, do I wait? Do I not? And I was like, no, no, I'll Be Real. So I posted it from the pit before Harry Styles was on. Gotta Be Real. Anyways, back to today's episode. AI is super exciting technology. In our last episode, we spoke about some great applications of AI that make our lives easier. Today, we wanted to chat about the different types of AI that we might encounter in our day-to-day life now or in the future. While some of these things are really exciting, it's important to take into consideration that as this technology starts to become more widespread, we also need to be aware of the ethical concerns around them. Whether or not you work in tech, chances are you're going to encounter AI. And honestly, you're probably already using AI in your everyday life, like through Maps or Uber. So today we wanna open your mind to some ethical considerations around AI and arm you with information so that you can make informed decisions and better understand both the good and the bad aspects of AI. We'll be chatting through the good and bad of bots, concerns around the ethics of ChatGPT, AI art, deepfakes, coded bias and AI filters, and finally, AI virtual assistants and whether or not they're sexist. 
In our last episode, we spoke about chatbots and how they simulate human conversation through text or voice and are often used to answer frequently asked questions or other basic level one communication about a product or a service. There are also a lot of other types of bots out there that perform tasks through robotic process automation or RPA. They work by automatically going through a set of instructions and they carry out tasks and processes much faster, more accurately, and at a higher volume than it would otherwise take a human. When bots first kind of came onto the scene, they were seen as really helpful because they can automate difficult tasks like complicated calculations or complex algorithms. But nowadays, people often associate the word bot with hackers trying to use them for spying, spreading viruses, and exploiting vulnerabilities in computers. While there are still a lot of great uses for bots, there are also a number of examples that introduce some ethical issues. One common example is shopping bots. These are bots that can be used to automate browsing and checkout processes. These can be super useful. For example, some price comparison websites use these to find the best deal for a product. In this case, the bots check for the product at a range of sites and report back the best deal. And it's a really handy way for customers to figure out where the best place to buy that new phone they want, for example. Sometimes these shopping bots can also be used by ticket scalpers to buy up a bunch of tickets for a concert, and then the person who owns the bot can resell those tickets for ridiculous prices. This really sucks for fans who miss out on tickets because they can't go faster than a bot. And it also makes concerts super inaccessible when the resale tickets are triple the original ticket price. I remember back in my One Direction days, the amounts of money some parents would pay for their kids to go to One Direction and they would buy price like tickets for like four or five times the original ticket price. So if you are a hacker that wants money and you can easily program bots, you're 100% gonna do that to make an extra like four or five grand just target the like preteens and teens with rich parents who will buy them all the one direction tickets in the world and apparently easy money <laughs> exactly Another controversial type of bot is Twitter bots. These are automated Twitter accounts that are set up with bot software. They're programmed to perform tasks that resemble those of an everyday Twitter user, such as liking or retweeting tweets, but their purpose is to tweet and retweet content for specific goals on a larger scale. There are some situations where Twitter bots are really useful, like customer support bots that you can tweet your issues or questions at and they automatically tweet back a logical next step or the right place to contact for help. Or sometimes these bots can be used to broadcast important content like weather emergencies in real time. Other times, Twitter bots can be used to spread disinformation about things like climate change or influence elections, like we saw in the 2016 election when bot accounts tweeted and boosted pro-Trump tweets. Ooh. Yeah, ooh. With bot accounts creating fake surges of activity, it can manipulate algorithms and influence the type of content people see to favor what the bot owner wants them to see. It's pretty creepy how this can actually influence politics as well. Like it can have such a widespread impact. I was reading an article about how some 
University studies found that the Twitter bots influenced not only the 2016 election in the States, but also the Brexit vote. And it's just crazy to think that like both of those things, I think it was like a two or 3% difference, which doesn't sound like much, but when you like hear about the close margins for both those things, yeah, you're just like, wow, that's, that's a lot of power in one thing. That is terrifying. There are also a bunch of other types of bots out there that can be used to scam people. So, for example, you've got spam bots that send viruses either via email, social media sites, or instant messaging apps. You know, those classic ones that your mum will forward to you sometimes being like, click this to learn, da-da-da-da-da. Get a free iPhone. Another type is click fraud bots, and these generate fake views for pay-per-click ads, social media posts, search engines, and basically anything that relies on clicks for financial or algorithmic gain. People are able to use click fraud bots to trick website owners and advertisers into thinking their content is more successful than it actually is. And this can have some really big real world implications in terms of the money they make or how their content is perceived by other people. I absolutely hate all of the like fake bots on Instagram that'll like comment on your posts and message you. They're so annoying. Yeah, if you go onto the Hot Girls Code Instagram, I think you'll spot one that posts literally instantly. Every time. (laughs) Every time. And I'm like, bro, stop. And it's definitely a bot with different bot accounts because it just happens with all of our posts. And they post instantly. Like they comment, like as soon as we post, it's like, boom, they've commented on it. So I don't think that's a real person just like watching our account for updates. Maybe they're just a really big fan. You never know. Biggest fan. (laughs) Moving on from bots, we next wanted to chat about something we've seen a lot in the news, and that is ChatGPT. So ChatGPT is an AI chatbot which was launched last year. If you've ever used it, you'll know that it gives some very detailed and articulate responses, and it can provide answers across a huge range of different domains. You can even ask it to write you a song about a certain topic. Coders can also use it to solve coding problems. You write what you need to solve and ChatGPT can literally write the code for you. How wild is that? That is pretty crazy. So you might be wondering kind of what's happening under the hood here. So in order to fine tune ChatGPT, human trainers were used to improve the model's performance using supervised learning as well as reinforcement learning. In supervised learning, the ChatGPT model was provided with conversations in which the trainers played both sides. So the trainer was both the user and the AI assistant giving answers. Then in the reinforcement learning step, human trainers actually rank those responses that the model has created in a previous conversation so that the model knows what a good response looks like and what is a bad response. ChatGPT opens up a number of interesting ethical and legal issues, as well as the classic, is ChatGPT going to take my job? For example, copyright issues. The model may generate text that is similar or identical to existing copyrighted content or privacy violations. The AI model may be able to generate personal information or sensitive data that could be used to identify, dox, or harm people. There is also concern about unconscious bias in the training data, which could lead to the AI model perpetuating harmful stereotypes or discrimination. Another ethical concern around ChatGPT is related to the transparency of the model's decision-making process, as it can be difficult for users to understand how the model actually arrives at a particular output. 
There's also the issue of where did the data ChatGPT was trained on actually come from? That huge amount of data could have been retrieved in pretty questionable ways, like scraping websites or other data collection methods, which could have legal and ethical issues. So far, we've talked about bots and ChatGPT. Next, we're going to talk about AI art. If you're on TikTok, I'm sure you've seen the many filters to generate yourself as art, and this is all backed by AI. Artists have been writing computer programs to generate art for the last 50 years. For example, an artist named Harold Cohen wrote the computer program Aaron in 1973 to produce drawings that followed a set of rules that which he specified. He continued to refine the Aaron program throughout his career, but the program maintained its core design of performing tasks as directed by the artist. With programs like these, the computer is simply following the instructions of the artist to produce an image. The artist still controls what the image will look like. However, new developments of art generators use AI and machine learning technologies to enable the computer to have more autonomy in producing these images. Basically, now with AI art, the computer can decide itself what it wants the end product to look like, and it isn't kind of being directed by an artist. It's also really funny when you look at AI art, because sometimes there are mistakes that a human probably wouldn't make. You'd hope not. You'd hope not, but did you see that Madonna posted an AI image on Instagram to show support for Ukraine, but the people in it had six fingers? Yes, I saw that. And like, it's so funny because, you know, she could have just used like an actual picture, but instead she decided to use an AI generated image. And then these people had six fingers and it looks really weird. And it's just like, why would you do that? <laughs> what was the, what was the thinking behind that? What's going on in Madonna's mind? I think everyone asked that question. With AI art, there are concerns around the source of the data that the AI actually learns from. Did they get the artist's consent? I've also seen a bunch of TikToks where the original artist's watermark is actually still on the AI-generated image. And obviously, this can cause some real ethical dilemmas. Like, imagine if you had a particular style that you've spent years refining and working on, and then all of a sudden, someone's like, oh, well, I can get that from for free from this AI generator. And you just feel so, like sad and just so like you'd feel so used exactly and it's like and especially if you were like oh I'd been sharing my art online to get interest and, and so that people would want to commission work from me or buy my pieces and then an AI generator like whoever was powering it you know took those images and used it to train their AI without your permission you'd be like excuse me that was my like heart and soul and time and effort and you've just stolen that from me and then you see like this image online and it's your style, but it's not something you did and you see your watermark on it. Like that would, yeah, that would just be awful. And not only that, the invention of AI art leads to some really interesting questions about what is art and if AI is used to create images, can the final product really be thought of as art? You also have to be really careful when using these kinds of tools online, because if you're uploading your own personal images to get AI generated art, where are your images going? Do you know who actually owns this tool? And are you happy for some potentially shady company to have those images of you? Definitely some important things to consider. In addition to visual art, 
AI is also making a big splash in the music scene. There are AI programs nowadays that are able to take a song sung by a singer and generate a new version by another artist. The other day on TikTok, of course, I feel like this whole episode, it just makes it sound like I spend so much time on TikTok. We both do. (laughs) (laughs) Too much time. Um, But I saw an AI generated version of the song Kill Bill, but it was made to sound like it was being sung by Ariana Grande. And honestly, it sounded so real. That's would be so crazy and like this really creates an interesting question about the future of music i know i would feel really weird if i was an artist and there was an artificially created audio of me singing someone else's song and i feel like it would be like gaslighting me i'd be like wait but did i sing this song was this me when was this like what and I do think about how the legality of these things might change in the future and if they've introduced laws around this or what they have to do to make sure they protect artists. Mm, getting artists permission to, for like their likeness, I guess, to be used. Yeah, which I think like, I guess kind of exists now, but I don't know. I'm not a lawyer, so I'm not like super familiar with it. Another interesting slash concerning ethical issue with AI is the potential misuse of it to create deep fake audio, text, or even videos to spread false or misleading information. A deep fake is a video of a person in which their face or body has been digitally altered so they appear to be someone else. Typically, it is used maliciously or to spread false information. These are videos created using AI and they show real people saying and doing things they never did. I saw a deep fake of Taylor Swift the other day, of course, on TikTok, and she was saying something like really rude about her fans, but you know, this was a deep fake. And it's concerning that in the future, we may not be able to tell what's real and what isn't. Convincing deep fakes currently takes significant amount of time and effort, even for people who are super tech savvy. But as the technology improves, deepfake software will become more accessible and making convincing deepfakes will become easier and easier. It's pretty scary, eh? And as you can probably imagine, there are some really malicious ways deepfakes could be used. They could be used to spread misinformation, and this would be even more dangerous in, say, a global pandemic situation where true information is really important. Deepfakes can also be used to create really compromising videos of people saying or doing inappropriate things. Even just recently, there's been a bunch of stuff in the gaming community where a bunch of Twitch streamers that are women found out that one of the male Twitch streamers in their community had paid to have deepfakes created of them in really compromising situations. And I'm sure you can read between the lines there and kind of assume what kind of compromising videos these might be and that's really scary especially for women yeah and these non-consensual deepfakes can be just really violating for their victims imagine you're just scrolling online and you see a video of yourself but it's not actually you like that is terrifying or having someone you know send it to you being like hey is this you and then you have to just be like no i promise it's not like ugh, i hate it It's like fake Instagram accounts taken to a whole new level. You know, when like there's a fake Instagram account and someone's like, oh, hey, is this you? And you're like, um, clearly not. Now this is just like 10 times worse. Yeah, it's so gross. But there are some ways to help you recognize deep fakes. Things you can look out for are 
face discolorations, lighting that isn't quite right, badly synced sound and video, and blurriness where the face meets the neck and the hair. Moving on from the doom and gloom of deep fakes and how scary that can potentially be, let's talk about filters and the AI powered behind them. So a cool new example I learned about recently is AI being used in filters on TikTok. Wow, TikTok mentioned again? Lola, I think you're obsessed. I know, I feel like when I listen back to this, I should count how many times I mentioned TikTok and then maybe rethink my life choices. Anyways, back to filters. Most filters use a 3D augmented reality face mesh, which they overlay on top of your face. This is basically a digital mask, but sometimes these look obviously like filters, and there are now filters that are powered by machine learning instead. An example that you might have seen on TikTok is the bold glamour filter. It looks so realistic, it's actually hard to tell when someone you don't know is using it. Filters like this use a machine learning technique called generative adversarial networks where the machine is trained off of a bunch of reference images and it learns how to create images like them. So when you put the filter on your face, it scans all the pixels of your face and then regenerates them based on the training it received on the other photos. And just to jump in, this is similar to how some AI art is generated too. Exactly. However, if you're a person of color like me, you may have noticed that these filters can sometimes look a lot less realistic on you. And this might be indicating that the data set the images are trained of aren't inclusive enough and the machine doesn't know how to work as well with your features or coloring. That sounds like some classic coded bias. If you remember back to our episode on unconscious bias, this lack of inclusiveness in a data set is known as coded bias. This is when computer programs learn biases due to the people that code them or due to the data that they're trained off of. And in this situation, we can see that the AI that powers this filter is biased to be less effective on people with features that aren't appropriately represented in the data set that it's trained off of. A great documentary about this topic is Coded Bias on Netflix. It's really worth a watch. One of the things it talks about is just like what happened with filters, this issue was seen really predominantly with facial recognition when it was first introduced as a way to unlock phones. Another example of the harm that can come from coded bias is what happened with Amazon's recruitment tool a few years ago. So several years ago, Amazon created a machine learning recruitment tool to review job applicants' resumes. But by 2015, the company realized its new system was not rating candidates for technical jobs, like software developer, in a gender-neutral way. And this is because Amazon's computer models were trained by observing patterns in resumes submitted to Amazon over the previous 10 years. And surprise, surprise, most came from men due to the male dominance across the tech sector. So basically, the system taught itself that male candidates were better and penalized resumes that included the word women or women's, as in women's chess club captain. These examples highlight that as we use AI more and more to make things easier like unlocking your phone, reviewing CVs, or fun things like filters, it's important to be aware of the way we can potentially code biases into the programs we create. Another common example of AI in everyday life is the use of AI virtual assistants. And some of the most popular ones are Amazon's Alexa, Siri for Apple, and Google Home. 
If you don't know what an AI virtual assistant is, these are applications that understand natural language voice commands, for example, turn my light on at 8am, and then complete that task for the user using smart devices in your home, like a smart bulb. I absolutely love using smart bulbs and I'm just like, hey Google, turn on the lights and then bam, they're on. No switching light switches for me. Wow, you're living a life of luxury. Well, something you may or may not have noticed is that most AI assistants come with the default voice that is feminine. When virtual AI assistants first came onto the scene, they didn't actually have any other options aside from feminine voices, and they took a while to add masculine ones. Apple Siri, the first mainstream AI assistant, launched in October 2011, and it didn't have a masculine voice option until almost two years later in June 2013. On top of this, Microsoft's Cortana came out a few years later in April 2014, and guess what? They didn't have a masculine voice until almost six years later in 2020. And if you think that's bad, Amazon launched Alexa in November 2014, and it didn't add a masculine option until almost seven years later in mid-2021. That is crazy. One of the last companies to join the mainstream virtual assistant team is Google Assistant, and it launched in November 2016 and added a masculine option pretty quickly by October 2017, which is something we'll talk a bit more later. So a lot of virtual assistants launch with feminine voices and to this day, they still default to a feminine voice that people often don't change. And you might be wondering why that is. There are two explanations that are referenced to when it comes to why. The first is that studies show humans prefer the sound of a feminine voice and additional research also shows that women tend to articulate vowel sounds more clearly, which makes women easier to understand. However, this preference is something that has been heavily disputed and many of the myths surrounding the idea that feminine voices are easier to hear, even when using small speakers or over background noise, have actually been proven to be false. And there's also evidence that women often receive complaints about their voices. Even if you Google women's voices are, the top suggested search literally says are annoying. Oh, I, or like they're like, oh, women's voices are so high pitched or like squeaky or like annoying. And it's like, oh, go away. It's so frustrating. A personal story from me. I remember at uni, we had these presentations we had to give and we got given peer feedback from other people in the class. And one of the pieces of feedback that I got is written anonymous feedback. And I had someone submit a comment that said her voice is really annoying to listen to. Um, I have a very clear, loud and articulate voice, but apparently it's annoying to listen to. Putting aside the idea that feminine voices are preferable to listen to, the second big reason relates back to our good old friend, coded bias. To explain how this coded bias came to be, we have to go back in history a bit and talk about telephones and how they used to work. So back in the day, telephones required operators known as switchboard operators. The way it would work is if you wanted to call someone, you would call the operator up, they would answer, and you would say, hey, could I please be connected to Lola, for example. The operator had a switchboard in front of them with a bunch of jacks or slots in them, and they would literally take a cord with two plugs on either end, and they would plug one into your slot, and then another one into the place you were trying to call. And that's how you would make a phone call. 
But what does this have to do with AI assistance, you may be wondering? Well, these operators were predominantly women, and often they were recorded in their work. As a result of this, we actually have a lot more rich data for feminine voices compared to masculine voices. We now have hundreds of years of female audio recordings we can use to create new forms of voice automated AI. This means there is more data for the AI to learn from, and we can better train the natural language algorithms that underpin voice assistance to be more accurate and lifelike. This is why when most virtual AI assistants have first been released, they have only had an option for a feminine voice. It makes it easier to create a better product. Remember how we said we'd be coming back to Google Assistant? Well, when designing the product, they purposely picked a gender-neutral name so that they could launch with both masculine and feminine voice options. But unfortunately, since it was easier and therefore cheaper to launch with a feminine voice, they went ahead with launching with just that and then followed up with the masculine voice a year later. Something that I find ironic is that studies have shown that AI assistants often favor masculine voices compared to feminine. So you have all this data to train your AI to speak with a feminine voice, but not understand them. So that's why virtual AI assistants more often default to feminine voices. But does it matter? Spoiler alert, yes, yes it does. We have to be careful that we don't surround ourselves with technology that reinforces outdated stereotypes. So think about the tasks that AI assistants typically carry out. Things like writing your shopping list, remembering dates on your calendar, and turning your lights on. This creates this association between a female voice and these domestic or assistant type tasks. There's a really great quote from a cartoonist named Lily O'Farrell that I think is really powerful. When Alexa can keep track of your shopping list, set your alarm, turn on the heating and lights, even keep your kids entertained with games. It's not that we prefer women's voices, it's that we prefer women doing domestic tasks. That's it. That's like that the point. We've arrived at the point. <laughs> and that is the point. And I feel like this is why it's so important is like if we're keeping this association of like, oh yes, like I'm just gonna like abuse Siri and like tell her to do all of these things, and you have these connotations that that's like a feminine voice and therefore like a woman essentially, then I think yeah, it's pretty dangerous really. And it isn't just virtual assistants. This default to helpful feminine voices also occurs with your GPS maps or the supermarket self-checkout machine. All around us, we're subconsciously associating feminine voices and, by extension, women, with being helpful, eager to please, docile, you know, there to serve you and your needs. And that's not good. No, it sure isn't. And a quote that I think explains this well comes from Verena Reiser, a professor in computer science at Harriet Watt University. She says, the feminization of AI personal assistants can reinforce negative stereotypes of women as subservient, as these systems often produce responses which are submissive at best and sexualized at worst. There is a danger that the interactions we have online with AI spill over into the real world. The important thing to note here is that AI is not neutral, but because it is created by humans, it can be informed by pre-existing societal bias. AI is currently reflecting this bias, and we need to address this. 
And this whole kind of concept of like the feminization of these AI assistants and the impact that that can have on gender is something that's even been on the radar of the United Nations. So the United Nations has an agency known as the United Nations Educational, Scientific and Cultural Organization, or UNESCO. And in 2019, they published a really fascinating report about gender bias in AI systems. It's a long report. I think it's about 145 pages. And I actually read more of it than I intended to when we were researching this episode. And it was fascinating. The first thing to point out is the title of the report. I'd blush if I could. That's a pretty odd title, right? Very. Well, back when this report was being made, if you told your Siri, hey Siri, you're a beep, insert the B word, that was the response she would give. I'd blush if I could. I was horrified when I learned that. Ugh, I'm like internally cringing so much at that. I feel like that's just like someone's like weeaboo, like anime dream girl response to being called like a slur like that. Exactly. It's like, how the heck did that ever make it in? Like that part, like multiple people would have reviewed that and been like, yep, that's an appropriate response. It's so gross. Luckily, Apple has since updated the reply to say, I don't know how to respond to that. But the fact that this was even a thing to begin with is pretty shocking. And even though that response was changed, virtual assistants still don't really react when you verbally abuse them. And if you apologize, they very easily accept. You may think, well, it's just a robot. Why does it matter? I think the best explanation I've seen of this comes from a woman named Jessa Linjow, an assistant professor of communication at the University of Pennsylvania, who studies digital culture. The quote from her is, and even if it's just normalizing our relationship to AI, as we come to rely on AI more, that could be problematic. It could reinforce the long-held dynamic that men's voices are public and authoritative, and women's voices are meant to serve privately and be shut down. Wow, that is a really powerful quote, and it's pretty scary to think about it in, in that way. The UNESCO report goes on to argue that if people do, in fact, prefer the female-sounding helper, it's mainly because we've been conditioned to feel more comfortable making these kinds of requests of women. The report concludes that using a default feminine voice reflects, reinforces, and spreads gender bias, models acceptance of sexual harassment and verbal abuse, sends messages about how women and girls should respond to requests and express themselves, makes women the face of glitches and errors that result from the limitations of hardware and software designed predominantly by men, and finally forces a synthetic feminine voice and personality to defer questions and commands to higher and often masculine or male authorities. All of these things are reasons why it's important to be aware of the impact of something as unassuming as the default voice of an AI assistant. Because yes, you can change the default voice, but how many people actually bother messing with their default settings? And when we're the ones designing or building AI applications, how aware are we of the biases and stereotypes that we might be putting out into the world? And with that interesting question, we are brought to the end of today's episode. 
So today we talked about the ethics surrounding AI, specifically around ChatGPT, bots, AI art, deepfakes, AI filters, and finally virtual assistants. AI has so many amazing applications that can help humanity in sectors ranging from business to healthcare and education, as well as making our lives easier. However, as with any new technologies, we need to be cautious and aware of the many ways AI could be misused and protect ourselves against these scary outcomes. If you are someone who's working in the field of AI or at a company that plans to utilize AI, it's important to remember that technology is a tool for innovation, but it's also something that has impacts on the real world. We hope that everyone enjoyed listening to today's episode and that it gave you something to think about and that you feel a bit more armed with information about how you can protect yourself when interacting with AI. Our next episode is all about the software development life cycle. So make sure you tune in when it drops next Wednesday, New Zealand time. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to leave a rating and subscribe to Hot Girls Code wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Instagram and TikTok under at hot underscore girls underscore code to keep up to date with the podcast and learn more about the tech industry, software development and being a woman in tech. Thanks for listening.